Welcome to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. Company of Fools is a professional theater based in Sun Valley, Idaho, and is a proud part of the Sun Valley Museum of Art. More information on Company of Fools and the museum can be found online at svmoa.org. Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools. And on this show, we talk to a wide range of performing artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the future of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I am very pleased to be talking with arts and culture publisher Misty Tompoles. Misty is the publisher and founder of Artslandia magazine and is a rampant entrepreneur who started her company when she was just 24 years old. Since then, she has helped create and navigate the currents that course through the ever-changing cultural waters. And this is true now more than ever. Her influence and dogged work ethic within the media landscape has helped shape Portland, Oregon's national reputation as an independent, innovative incubator for creative work. As a fearless entrepreneur, she is a tenacious advocate for the art and artists that form the heart and soul of communities everywhere. Hey, Misty, thanks for joining us on Foolish Voices. How are you? I'm good. That's such a great bio. Yeah. It, the way you, uh, I mean, honestly, it's never been better having heard it in Scott Palmer's voice. Aww, that's pretty great. That's nice. Well, you know, I am classically trained as a person who reads things. I don't it really shows. know how to do very much else. <laughs> how it are shows. You, are you good? Are you healthy and fine? I'm good. Um, yeah, I am physically healthy. My family's physically healthy. Uh, we're a little mentally tired at this point and, and really missing any kind of semblance of normality. But um, yeah, it's, um, you know, we're good. We're good. We're making it. I, I worry that we'll, we'll start to get too comfortable in quarantine, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're just like with your feet up, wearing your PJs, eating bonbons on the couch, that kind of thing? or uh, Well, just, you know, not needing other people and just kind of <laughs> being happy with, you know, it's just my myself and my son and my husband. And I think we're pretty good with that right now. And as time goes on, I hope that we don't get too comfortable and, and you know stop talking to grandma and uncle and everybody else. Right. My husband Brian went to the grocery store the other day and he was like, I just can't stand humans in the world. And I was exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, so tell, first of all, I, I know what Artslandia is because you and I worked together for years and years and years when I was at Bag and Baggage out in Hillsborough. But uh, because we have listeners from all across the globe, will you please explain what, what do you do for a living? What's your deal? Yeah, so uh, we're a publisher <laughs> first and foremost. It's very, it's very complex. I've realized over the years when I try and explain it to people, it seems perfectly um, simple to me. But uh, so I got my start um, publishing playbills for different arts organizations in Portland. So. Um, you know, the great program that you get when you walk into a theater, that's what I do. And as my company grew and we had more and more arts organizations that we published their programs for, I started to feel like there needed to be a central hub 
for all of this information, um, for schedules, for ticketing information, for biographies. And uh, that's kind of where Artslandia magazine was born. We decided that we were going to aggregate everybody's information, put it in a beautiful magazine, and then mail it out to all the subscribers of the arts organizations that were on the pages of the magazine. So that's how the magazine Artslandia grew. And then from that, we created a bigger digital presence, an online calendar for all of the arts groups. Um, We now have a podcast and we also have opening this week, which is a television program. What? You guys do TV? We do it all, man. We do it all. I know. It's kind of weird. I know. That's why it's complex. Um, yeah, so we, we do pretty much every kind of media outlet where we have something going on. So it's really a one-stop shop for Portland Arts. We are also in San Francisco and Vancouver, B.C. as well. So, But at the very basic level, um, we're publishers. Yeah, I mean, to, to be frank, knowing what Artslandia does, it's sort of hilarious to just describe you guys as publishers. I mean, like, you, you are this central hub, you're a place for discussion and debate, you promote the entirety of Portland, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. the same for, Van, uh, for Vancouver and for San Francisco mm-hmm. as a sort of destination, you really shape the message around what those communities have to offer in an artistic sort of yeah. cultural way, right? Like, Yeah, it's funny though. When you build a business, it's very difficult to scale it in your brain. I mean, you are all the time, right? But I still kind of see myself as just this, this, you know, this woman that puts um, magazines together. And so I always have to kind of change my thinking, especially when I meet people now. And, uh, you know, I come into a meeting and this is real shift for me. But when I come into a meeting, and people say, how long have you been with Artslandia? I'm always like, whoa, wait a second, what? <laughs> yeah, they don't even know. I mean, I'm just this person that created it in my garage. So it, it is, it's a, sh- a huge shift for me to fully grasp um, everything that we're doing all the time. Uh, it's just, it's, I have such an incredible team, Scott, that I, I've met your team. They are pretty yeah, cool. Although they're I pretty thought- cool. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you the thing that you don't want to hear, which is that to sort of, you know, you're the, you're the heart and soul of that deal. Uh, Misty. Well, I think it's because I'm a workaholic, but I do, uh, I appreciate that. I really do. And, and, you know, as I had, as this business has grown and I've stopped being the woman in the garage, making the magazines, um, I've tried to fully embrace the leadership role. And that's been a huge shift too, because I've, you know, to go from the practitioner to the leader, or even I skipped a step, like I was their boss for a long time. And now I'm their leader. And to make that shift is huge. And it takes a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of self reflection to say, okay, I can't just boss these people around, I have to inspire them to want to do these things. And so, you know, that's really, um, that's really my role now. And you, I think you're probably pretty good at it. I like to think so. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't tell me if you'd heard otherwise, right? No, <laughs> you would be like, I would My team hates me. I'm a total nightmare. We're... <laughs> no. They're, I, I, you know, I have my days. God, I'm, you know, you have your days. There are days when I'm like, I really want to kill someone. Um, and then I have to be like, why do I want to kill someone? And how can I, how can I handle this in a better, 
you know, how can you I be a good leader here and not just an asshole? You you, so, don't, you don't think ever I want to murder someone and the next uh, thought is I wonder if I can get away with it because that's yeah, usually oh, where yeah. I go. Oh, God, I know. I know. I think I have people that will help me hide the bodies. Uh, I really do. You you give me a call, girl. I'm right there. Yep, same. Um, so in terms of what are – talk to me about the numbers. How yeah. many organizations do you provide these services for in the Portland area and, and maybe broadly just in the entire Artslandia empire? Okay, so it's so, so we have Playbill clients. Those are people that we produce their Playbill for them. Then we have publishing clients, and these are, and this is all in the weeds probably for your audience, but, and then we have publishing clients, and these are people that we actually sell advertising into their program. So those people would be uh, the Oregon Symphony, um, Portland Opera, Portland Center Stage. Um, Oregon Children's Theater, the larger organizations. And then we have quite a few mid-sized organizations that we create their playbills. But on the whole, I I don't even have the number of um, arts organizations that we work with on, you know, throughout the year. I mean, it's pretty much everyone at, in some fashion, whether it's helping them with their marketing and their digital plan or, you know, creating e-blasts for them. I mean, I would say we work with probably 70 organizations. We also, um, we're the publisher for the San Francisco Ballet now, which is pretty much a huge deal. I didn't know that. Yeah, which is a pretty huge deal. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, between, probably between 60 and 70 arts organizations a year, but it's growing. So can I just, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. I've yeah. known you for a long time. Why? <laughs> why, why, why? Why did you decide? It's to a this? fabulous question <laughs> that I asked myself when I was in the shower this morning. No, it's like, why? Why? Um, why? Why did you do this? Well, I love performers. I, I must admit, I really do love performers. Um, why do I do what I do? It's not because of performers. I love publishing, first and foremost. And even one step removed from that, I love business. Like I'm a true entrepreneur. And you know, they're, they've done studies on genes that entrepreneurs have. We just have a different gear that we're in. You have it too. And it's, it's, I love the build. I love the challenge. I love the build. I love, and I always want to see what more we can do. And so what the, why is the challenge for me? The why is the challenge. If I'm not challenged, there won't be a why anymore. Which is sad. It's sad in a way, though. It means I'm never going to be satisfied. Eh, I don't think that's true. I I mean, I I think, you know, honestly, having watched the Artslandia kind of progress, I can remember sort of, you know, hearing about you guys and me being like, oh, yeah, it's just another one of those. They just want our advertising dollars, blah, 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 blah. And then after getting to know you and the work that we did together, I mean, it, it, you know, you sort of have this ladder of expectation and targets, right? Like first we're going to do this and then we're going to expand that to include include advocacy and features on uh, on remarkable artists from all different kinds of disciplines. And I think, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be ambitious. You you and I have that in, in, in common. common. Um, 
and especially when you're doing such good work, right? When you're providing such an, a, an important service to an, a kind of industry that really needs that kind of assistance. So, you, yeah, you, and I, you know, I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you, but no, it's all good. ambition is not a dirty word. And I, I really take uh, a great insults when people say say something or refer to me as ambitious as if it's a negative or anyone for that matter it's like it's really what the intention is uh, which I think is what you're getting at my intention isn't just to build 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 to make money that's not the intention at all (laughs) that my highest intention is to celebrate and elevate the arts. That's my highest intention. And so if I build, 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 and I keep doing more and more and more of that, then, you know, is that ambition a negative? I I just don't see it as a negative. I see it as, you know, fulfilling my mission, I guess. It's, I mean, in, in my, in my world, what I view it as it's activism and advocacy, right? Like, I mean, hopefully you're, you're getting a paycheck and your team is right. making money and all of that. Sure. And everybody needs to make a living wage and all of that kind of stuff. But raising the profile, raising awareness, increasing audiences, ensuring access for non-traditional audiences, that's activism, right? Like right. that is that is advocacy and activism on the part of an industry which has at times struggled to have the skills necessary to promote itself. So absolutely, you're going to go to heaven. That's all I know. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I will back to your point about getting paid. I will say over the years, that has been something that, you know, I've really had to meditate on in a way uh, because we work our asses off. I mean, we work so hard and I have a tiny little team and I have really high expectations and at some point we deserve to be compensated for that work. And, and I do, you know, we're not a nonprofit, but we serve nonprofits and we do our best to meet them where they are. But at some point, you know, I think it's okay for us to say, Hey, we've been successful here because we worked really hard. Yeah, exactly. I I, I love that. I mean, I think, I think it's important, you know, I think it's important, particularly now in this moment of global crisis, that people sort of remember how valuable they are finding the arts in our, mm-hmm. in our sort of isolation, right? Turning to For sure. audiobooks, Netflix, streams of National Theater Live, and that the, all of the people who are involved, whether it's the artists, the performers, the backstage folks, the marketing staff, right. graphic designers, the the front of house staff like all of those people are absolutely essential to the creation of this work and we should value them right 100 percent. yeah what what do you think the impact of artslandia has been like if you had to if you had to sort of gauge what you've accomplished for the broader sort of performing arts community how would you describe that Yeah. So I would say first we've created uh, a community, Um, not necessarily within the arts community. It's a strange thing. We've built like a community for the audience to come and and engage with um, the arts organizations, also within the arts organizations too. But I I feel like it's this umbrella um, 
you know, brand that helps facilitate or funnel people into, you know, the full arts community. So it's, it's this, um, access point, I guess. And I think we've also raised visibility considerably. We've raised, you know, I'm all about rising tides float all boats. I always say that. And I believe that a hundred percent. If I, if I can put, um, a large organization with a small organization in some kind of marketing form, then that smaller organization benefits from all the visibility of the larger organization. And that's, what's important. You know, this it's, I think we've been able to get people to collaborate and be less siloed, um, but really rising tides float all boats. And, you know, there are a lot of small organizations and they need help and they need more help than the larger organizations. So I think I've been able to contribute that. I hope give visibility to the smaller organizations. Yeah, I mean, I can remember the first time we appeared in the Artslandia annual baggage. I mean, this was years ago. Bag and Baggage was a sort of small, growing, you know, suburban, almost rural theater company. I can remember getting a copy of it and being like, okay, there's Artist Rep. And then I turned the page and was like, oh my God, there's Bag and Baggage, like right, right. next to the one of the big dogs in the region. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, people who are looking for that information are suddenly exposed to the huge, wide, diverse range of arts that are happening in that community. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I have always said that that our participation with Artslandia did a huge amount to secure Bag and Baggage's oh, place that. as a sort of regional theater in, in the area. So um, how is it going for you at the moment? I mean, my assumption yeah. is not so much with the making of the programs for performances, yeah? Not so much of that, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, essentially when the governor's announcement came, um, our revenue stopped immediately. I mean, we had some, we had some products that were unaffected, but not really because most of the digital products we had were all based around the live performances too. So we really had no source of revenue at all. And I mean, even worse, we had things that had gone to press mm. the week before that came back that couldn't then be put into the theater. So, and the very, very expensive print printing jobs. Um, and then we couldn't bill for those. So we ended up completely in the negative when it came to, you know, those or those uh, performances that hit that week. So yeah, that was, that's um, sobering to say the least. So, you know, we had, um, we had had a really good year the last year. We had made some changes and we had cut expenses and we had really come into our own as far as the team. We were all in sync. And because of that, I had like rainy day funds and uh, I've been able to ride it out so far. I didn't lay off anyone. So I still have all my team members. Um, I felt like I wanted them all to be intact when we did get the go ahead, because I think the ramping up it once everybody scattered to the winds is very difficult. And I didn't want that. And I also thought that it was really important that my team had a home and, a, and, and that home was Artslandia in many ways. We all get together and we see each other and, you know, it gave us a constant and uh, that was important to me. So I was able to secure the PPP loan, which 
was helpful and will get us through the next eight weeks. But honestly, I'm all about innovating right now. I mean, we really do. We are forced for our survival to innovate or, um, you know, we'll have to close until live performances are back up. And you and you have been. I mean, one of the things that <clears throat> Artslandia has been so great about is just, you know, I, I, I think I was saying this to uh, my friend Beth Lewis, who is with I love that. I was like, can you just imagine what it was like at the Artslandia offices? <laughs> you know, just, just like what what kind of explosion, panic, charm, creativity must have sort of flooded out of that group of human beings on when you were like, oh my God, we can't do all the stuff. Um, you you were you were remarkably kind enough to ask me to come on to one of your sort of ways of branching out. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about Yeah, that? sure. Yeah, you don't so, have to praise me specifically, but you can if you uh, I will. Um, so as you said, I think that this is your 52nd um, podcast. We were kind of right there. So we started um, immediately. Well, it actually was born out of the fact that I was just being inundated, and I'm sure you were too, and everybody was, with these really negative emails about like, we're going to, if we don't get some money, we're going to die, you know, all of these, just one email after the other. It, it came from the corporate world, it came from the arts world, and I was just like, I can't even take any more of these. So I, uh, you know, my directive to my team was, it, only good news is coming out of this office. It's not that we're burying our head in the sands. We know the gravity of what's happening, but that's not what we're, we're not going to, we're not going to perpetuate that. So it's only good news. So all of our social media turned to us finding things that were happening in the arts world that were good news that we could share. And so it was just everyday good news story. And then I felt like what's the one thing we're all missing is live performance and we're, we're missing the community, um, that is in within us at the audience, you know, the audience. And so how can we marry our good news with something else? And it just felt like, you know, a normal kind of addition to good news to create these happy hours, which is what you were on. So every day, uh, every weekday at five, uh, we have a different artist on Facebook live. We're going to change that and probably start streaming from YouTube out to the social channels. But right now we're on Facebook Live and um, any day you can tune in and see someone perform, um, you know, and more than that, you get to see them in their own home. And more than that, you get to see the great equalizer, which is technology, because anything can happen. And we're all there rooting on the performer and, and, and we're there to support them and also to connect with the other viewers that are there, many of them who are our friends that are, um, they just want to connect that day. So yeah, we've had, I think, gosh, I don't know what our number is tonight. It's less than 52, but I think it's, we're in mid forties. Um, you were kind enough to come on and talk about Shakespeare during the time of the play. Everybody loved your happy hour, by the way, I was getting so many texts during that. Thank you. Um, yeah, like last night, um, Carlos Calmar, uh, the music Aww. director at Oregon Symphony, came on, and he has a new series on Monday nights where he create he talks about one emotion that we're all going through, and then he finds pieces of music that reflect our emotions right now. So last night was grief, which was kind of heavy, but it was, but it was very like 
comforting. Um, so you could get Ka- you could get Carlos, you could get Scott Palmer, you could get, <laughs> you know, you can get Jeff George, you can get Jamie Hampton. You just ne- never know. Um, so it's a variety show in a way. But yeah, so that's one way we're innovating. We have created this happy hour. But here's the thing. We've just been doing it because it is our, we're mission driven right now. Um, we're going to have to find ways to, to monetize so that, you know, we can create a revenue stream that reflects all the hard work that we're putting in because we have to, we have to figure it out. So we will be doing that. And we have some other innovations in the works as well that are pretty cool and really, really fun. So I look Which you're to not going to tell me about because this podcast will go up beforehand and it will ruin it. Is that what exactly. you're... Well, I just, you know, I'm so, I'm so competitive. Long. You are. I, just don't want, <laughs> I, I just don't want anyone to, to steal your ideas. Exactly. Even though no one can work faster than us, unless they put a team on it round the clock, you know, a, a room full of coders around the clock, but um, no, it's really, really cool. And I'm excited. And we'll, there'll be a press release next week. Uh, but again, again, it's just, we're innovating like mad um, and, and the products are all, awesome but we have to have an audience that you know can spend money and can support it um so we'll see how it goes i mean are those very helpful yeah well i mean i I trust you guys are going to figure it out because you're real smart um what is this is that sort of sense of innovation responding almost on a sort of daily or weekly basis to the changes um, that are happening. Is that what you think most performing arts organizations need to be focused on? That sort of process of innovating ways to connect with their donors, connect with their patrons, bring the art to people if they can't be in, in a building? Is that sort of your gut? Yeah, they need to be engaging somehow. Uh, and they need to also keep people, they need to keep the communication um, going. And they really, really do. To sit in, around and wonder what if is not, it's not really helpful. Um, I definitely think innovation is key, but I do understand, uh, you know, I have a small nimble group and so we can react quickly and it's almost fluid. Like you said, on a daily basis, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I have to roll back everything that I told them on Monday. That's really what it's like right now. And big organizations cannot move that quickly, right? Um, It would be nice if they could. Do I think they can bring performances? I think that many of them are thinking they will have to. I, I think it's very expensive, very, very expensive to try and produce, um, a full, you know, a full production and live stream it with a, with a quality that is acceptable. I think that's a very expensive endeavor. So I'm not sure if that's possible. I hope, I mean, what are your thoughts on live streaming? You know, it depends on the day. (laughs) Right. That's how I am too. I I keep telling people this story and, you know, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, some random person that I barely know from, not from Portland, but from someplace else on the planet sent me this Facebook Facebook message. It was like, Hey, we're going to read the seagull tonight on a zoom, on on a zoom call. Do you want (laughs) to join us? And I was like, I would rather botch my own eye surgery than, than have to watch you read check off to me on a zoom 
on a Zoom call. Uh, no, I don't want to do it. Um, there are there are tons of really fantastic, great, creative, innovative, thoughtful forms of entertainment that theater companies and performing arts groups are throwing up online. But but for me, uh, my response is I don't believe that Company of Fools at this moment has the technological capacity to make that stuff look professional. And I don't want to put anything out online that isn't going to be reflective of our values as a theater company. That and that's just me. My spe I'm speaking for the fools. Um, but and, and so that is not to say that other people shouldn't experiment and innovate and yeah, all of that. But for us, we are exploring at the moment um, because we're not sure when this is going to be done. Right, like. Broadway just announced they're closed until the 8th of September. They announced that this morning. Um, yeah. The Guthrie has announced that they're not going to open up. The earliest they will be open is March of next year. Right. Uh, so, you know, we are exploring at the moment, what would it cost us to buy the equipment necessary to be able to have an accurate reflection of our focus on quality online? What, what would that yeah. cost us to do? Um, and we're, we're exploring whether or not that's even possible. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it's such a huge investment for um, a Band-Aid. It has to be something you're wanting to invest in and continue to do, right? And, and create some kind of revenue based around it. Because, you know, eventually theaters will open back up. And will you continue doing that? Will you continue using that huge investment? You know, I, I, um, I don't know. I think it's not an enviable position to be in. <laughs> wow. It just the, is The, the mistress not. of um, understatement. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Oh my God, I can't even, I, it's like, do you move forward with all that huge investment? Um, I don't know. Is it, it's not really a time that you would want to be spending those kinds of funds, I think. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, so here, here's the debate. I have this remarkable team of artists and production folks that, you know, with that work with me at The Fools, and we go round and round and round about it. And, and one of the arguments um, uh, in favor of us exploring a three camera setup with, you know, some, some boom mics and, you know, all those kinds of things that we could conceive of, you know, that we could put into a theater that would make it a functional space where we could record stuff. Um, mm -hmm. One of the arguments for that is we don't know how long we're going to be without right. artistic work. And so having that as a backup is, is in some ways feeding the artistic desire of a, of a remarkable group of artists working for a remarkable theater company who is not producing theater at the moment, right? Gives right. us, gives us a way to experiment and explore. Um, I don't know if, hmm. you know, I don't know if hundreds of thousands of people would ever um, go online to watch a company of fools broadcast of something. I don't know. I don't know if we'd ever make money off of it, but, right. um, but yeah, I, it makes me nervous. Yeah, I can see why. I don't really, I don't really think that people will go watch a recording. I think live theater is live and that's the draw. I mean, I think that's why we all go because it's, 
right then and there, you know, live. And so the recordings for me, and, and I see this, I see these everywhere, right? Um, I just don't see that as, it's certainly not a replacement, but I don't even know if it's viable to to think that people are going to sit in front of the television and watch a, you know, a recording of a production for three and a half, four hours. I just, I don't know. I yeah. don't see that landing. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it either. I think it's, you know, I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day and was like, I mean, I can work as hard as I can, but I'm still not going to have the production bu- budget of the national theater. Exactly. Know, like, which is essentially, you know, $4 million of, of recorded broadcast. Right. Um, we we might be able to do something interesting along the lines. Yeah, it's about innovation, right? It's it's literally thinking about those restrictions, those same that mm-hmm. same list of barriers and obstacles that you just described. Can can you do it? Is it worth spending the money? Will anybody watch? Can you monetize it? Will it be mission driven? Like all of those things, if you can figure out a way to to answer those questions, you might end up actually being able to make something that is a unique enough voice that people would want to listen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. I wish I could figure it out. Um, I really, I, I think there's so much uncertainty right now, and maybe someone will figure it out. I think it will be a Herculean um, <laughs> haul. I really do. It's, it's just a very difficult thing to figure out right now. But I'm curious, I, I I mean, does your gut tell you that theaters will reopen in the fall? Is that what you think? No, that's not what I think. My me gut either. is telling me that we aren't, that I, I think there's a universe in which we can reopen, but it will be with a radically reduced seating capacity. <clears throat> you know, I think it, in a proscenium space that like we have at the Liberty Theater, you know, it's about 260 seats. But if we implement social distancing of a minimum of six feet, we'll be able to get 42 people in there. Now, I also can't run a show for six weeks because of the costs of hiring equity actors for that long if we're only getting 42 people a night, right? Like Right. I think it's more likely that the fools would explore some option around um, doing a two-week run at 42 people a night and then recording it for people to watch online for a short period of time the week Mm -hmm. after to expand people's access people who are uncomfortable returning to the theater yeah because we all know right people are like there was this amazing study that just came out a survey that just came out a national survey that was like even with a vaccine in circulation and around for a long time people are going to wait three to six months before they return to the theater so we we know that we're going to see depressed levels of audience attendance. So, but I also don't know whether or not we're going to see a resurgence of the virus, or whether or not we're going to see after the summer, um, you know, the virus comes bounding back or whatever. And so, who knows? When I look around and, and see all the big dogs the Guthrie Oregon Shakespeare Festival, uh, the Utah Shakespeare Festival announced literally right before you and I got on this podcast, the Utah Shakespeare Festival announced, no, they've canceled the rest of their 2020 season. 
Those are huge, huge organizations that are doing lots of thinking about how this will impact them. Um, smaller companies that can afford to run shows at 40 people in, a, in the house may very well be able to open, right? Because it's, it's not a huge change to their economic model. I just don't know if anybody's going to come. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, you have to have an audience and, and the expense of putting on these productions, you know, in the hopes that people are going to show up. I don't know. It seems like a huge risk to me. You know who I worry about? I don't worry. I mean, I do think we're going to see mid-size regional theaters all across the country close forever as a result oh. of this, for sure. I mean, I think we're hearing from, you know, the TCG conference and from American Theater Magazine, people are saying 40 to 60% anywhere in that in that range. The yes. folks that I worry about are, are the ballet companies and opera who are already yeah. sort of struggling to attract new audiences. Um, yeah. Those are the those are the performing arts organizations that the institutions and the art forms that I think are have already had a contraction in the amount of of organizations that produce that kind of work. Um, those are the ones that I that I it just breaks my heart to think about opera and ballet and you know classical music organizations. Those are the ones that that I'm I worry about the most. Yeah, I am. Uh in a hundred percent agreement. I think it's a very scary time for them. I really do. And we'll hopefully, um, you know, hopefully they'll figure it out and hopefully their donor base will be there for them. Um, it, you know, it's, there's just no perfect answer right now. But it sounds like if you were to, I mean, you know, you've been doing this a long time and you're real smart and you, you, you have a good head on your shoulders and have been successful in this world. It sounds like what you are kind of resting on is this notion that arts organizations should embrace their creativity and their innovation as the way forward. Yeah, absolutely. They should go to their team and they should say, okay, let's think completely outside of the box. Let's not even think about the business model that we had. Let's not even think, I mean, they are going to have to, completely reinvent themselves during this i mean i just don't see any other way unless there's a magic vaccine that shows up and we can all go back to the theater and everybody's you know feels comfortable doing so then you're gonna have to reinvent yourself um or you're gonna have to close your doors and wait it out i mean there is that option as well i guess and i'm sure people will do that I'm sure there will be organizations that do that. But yeah, there's just no clear path forward. But again, what I would always say to anyone is you bet on your team. You don't bet on the what ifs. You don't bet on whether the vaccine's going to come. You don't bet on whether the virus is going to come back. You bet on your team to innovate. And you say, you know, it's all about us and it's about what we're going to create right now. We're, we're creatives here. I agree. I think <clears throat> uh, it's why I'm, I feel super blessed to have this group of artists working with me at Company of Fools. They are, they're all saying yes and. What, what do we do? How do we fix it? What do we do? What are the options? How do we, I mean, we've had 11,000 different alternative programming ideas in the last eight weeks, right. you know, having to have backup plans and backup plans and backup plans. So um, 
Yeah, I agree. Well, um, it's always great to talk to you and you're super smart. And if nobody, if people listening only take one thing away, it is to think out of the box, trust your team to innovate. Yeah. And I think that's a, a lead and an inspire, spend your time leading and inspiring. I'm really busy. Can I just rely on my team to innovate instead? You're a natural leader. Mm. So, and you're not, and you inspire people and they're so mm. lucky to learn from you. All right. Um, yeah. Put all of those things together with innovation. You're going to be solid, but you cannot sit on your hands and you, you cannot just wait for a miracle answer and you cannot just say, uh, it's all going to be fine in the fall. Cause that's just simply not the case. Fair enough. Words of wisdom from arts and culture publisher and founder of Artslandia magazine, Misty Tampolas. She has joined me today. My name is Scott Palmer. I'm producing artistic director of Company of Fools. And you have been listening to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. If you have enjoyed my conversation with Misty, please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at our parent organization, that is the Sun Valley Museum of Art, at their website, svmoa.org. And Misty, in the uh, description of this podcast, I'm going to put a link not only to Artslandia, but also I'm going to put a link to the Artslandia Facebook page where people can go and sign up and they can enjoy Artslandia happy hours. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. It's my pleasure. And thank you for taking some time out of your day uh, away from your husband and son, the only people you really like, uh, yep. for joining me on Foolish Voices. I miss your face. I miss yours. It was really fun chatting with you. It's good to talk to you. Take care and be in touch, okay? Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.